You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. I just want to let y'all know it takes a lot of trust for me to get back up here. And, and hope that y'all didn't like create a dunk tank and that in the middle somebody's just going to stand up and send me right in. What? what? I know. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I got to make sure that I, I preach well or I'm going to get ejected. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Uh, if you've been following along with us, we're continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians. If you haven't, we're doing a series in 1 Corinthians. Uh, so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along with us this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, I used to use this analogy with my, with my youth group when I was a, a youth leader, and I've cleaned it up a little bit for Sunday morning, so I did my best, okay? Just trust me on that. Um, how many of you guys like getting in the pool and swimming? Raise your hand. A lot of everybody. Okay, keep, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. How many of you guys would swim if that pool was half full of sewage? Nobody. Okay, what if it was just like, what if it was just like this much sewage in the pool? Anybody? Anybody getting in the pool with like this much sewage? What if it was just like, like a cup? Like somebody just dumped like a, like a small cup of sewage into the pool. Anybody getting in the pool with that sewage in there? Nobody. Nobody. I'm not surprised, right? I thought maybe there would be the one person who would be like, I don't care. Whatever, I'll just stay on the other side. Um, I, that's what we're going to see today. Not sewage in a pool. But we're going to see how one little bad thing can impact the whole. Right? Like, you think about it, that's not a whole lot of junk in the pool, right? Like, if you think about how giant a pool is, how deep the pool is, it's not a whole lot that ruins the whole thing. That all of us were like, no, you'd have to drain that whole pool. I'm going to need to hire somebody to come clean it out. I need to figure out why there was sewage in the pool to begin with, right? Like, that's a whole question. Um, And it ruins the whole thing. And that's what we're going to see happen in this passage today is this idea um, that a little bit of bad can ruin the whole thing. So uh, we, we talked about judgment last week, and I'm going to be honest. Uh, this passage, I struggled with it because we're going to see Paul move from talking about not judgment to talking about judgment. And it's like, how am I supposed to do both of these things, Paul? How am I supposed to do both of these things? Let's, let's, look, let's hop in. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, of a kind that not even pagans do tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out your fellowship of the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ one who, on the one who has been doing this. Welcome to church, right? Like, this is not what everybody expected. Like, oh, let's go to church and let's talk about this, right? Um, This is a weird situation, right? All together, like all around, you read this and you're not like, yeah, this will be be a fun Sunday. Um, It's just crazy because Paul talks about you're not supposed to judge. And then here he is. He says, I've already passed judgment on this guy. And you're like, okay, I don't understand this, Paul. I don't get it at all because... This is something that he literally just told us not to do. And then he even finishes out this passage. I'm going to skip a little uh, ahead a little bit to the end of 1 Corinthians 5. 
He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So last chapter, don't judge. Don't judge over and over. Don't judge. This chapter, I'm, you're supposed to judge. And it's like, okay, I don't understand how I'm supposed to like rectify all this. It was really hard preparing for this message because I just had to sit there and be like, what do I do with this, right? This is not like it's like in way in the Old Testament, a different author in a different century said, don't judge. And now here is Paul all this time later after the new covenant saying, hey, you, you should probably judge those in the church. This is the same guy writing the same letter to the same people and mere paragraphs later. I mean, we're not talking beginning of the letter and end of the letter. This is like a couple sentences that all of a sudden it's like, okay, don't judge but judge. So we have to figure out where the, the, the break is in that. And I hoped it would be as easy as like looking at the original Greek and be like, oh, he was using different words for judge. And like this judge means this. No, it's the same word. So it's like, okay, well, it's not that easy, right? That's what I was hoping. And it's not the case. Uh, and so it's like, okay, well, what is he, what is he talking about? I think it's pretty clear that he's talking about kind of on two levels. One, never judge anyone outside the church. That's pretty, pretty confident you can say that. He says that multiple times even when he's talking about you're supposed to judge those inside church but not outside, right? Those who don't know Jesus, we're not supposed to hold them accountable or judge them at all. But those inside the church, we are supposed to. And I, see, I think the difference is condemnation. Judgment with condemnation. We talked last week about how a bad judge would compare somebody to somebody else. Right? They're not going to hold them against the law, but hold them against maybe themselves or maybe hold them against somebody else. That would be a bad judge, and we're bad judges because that's what we do. Or we hold them against this standard that is not something that is in Scripture, something that we've added to Scripture, and it's like, well, they're not doing this thing that nobody said that they had to do. Right? So we sometimes can be bad judges because of those things. But we can't think less of somebody because of what we perceive as sinful behavior. Or to assume that someone's motives are sinful. Not that we're, that's not what we're called to do. Paul is talking about correction without condemnation. Like a good parent. right? Like I'm not saying I'm the, the watermark for parenting. I know that I'm not the best parent, but I try. right? I'm a decent. I'll give myself like a decent, but I'm not going to judge myself. right? talked about that last week. That's a trap. Um, but a good parent... Is not going to just let their kid do whatever and go, well, I'm not supposed to judge. I'm not supposed to judge, right? A good parent corrects their child but doesn't think less of them. When, when one of my kids hits the other one, I don't think less of them, right? I just have to correct the behavior. I have to say, hey, look, that what you did, that's not okay. I still love you. You're still my kid. There's nothing that's changed between us. I just have to tell you that what your action is, is not okay. And I think if you think about the fact, how did anybody know this? This situation that Paul is in, right, that we, talk, we started off talking about, how did we know who this guy was sleeping with? How did we know that? How, how did anyone know that? Not, a, not alone how did, how did we know it, but how did Paul, who was 350 plus miles away in Ephesus writing this letter, how did he hear about it, Right? That's what's crazy, is this isn't just like a secret sin that somebody found out about and there was some gossip. 
This is something that these people were boasting in. These people were proud of it. And the only thing that I can think of, the only thing that I was able to find of what other people who are smarter than me have figured out about this passage is that the people in Corinth who had kind of already this warped sense of morality, that they were saying, hey, we, we're not held to the same moral standards as you guys. This is okay. They thought their freedom in Christ was freedom to just do whatever they want. They thought that they had freedom from, from this standard instead of freedom from sin, right? They didn't understand that freedom in Christ is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Does that make sense? They had kind of con- confused these things in, our head, in their head of like, well, it's okay. Like, you guys just don't understand that this is fine, and we're going to accept him anyway, and we're going to be proud of this guy's behavior. So this is something that as we look at this wild situation, that it's like, yeah, somebody, somebody needed to step in, right? Like somebody needed to step in and say, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, this is not okay, right? And there's a huge difference in what Paul did of judging people versus judging actions. Judge actions, not people. Judge actions, not people, there's two very different approaches that I could take if, if you had sinned against me that I could take and just be like, how could you do that, right? How could you do that? You know better. How, why would you do that? And then there's the, the other end that it's like, hey, listen, I just want to have a conversation with you. I know that um, you might not have even done this on purpose. I'm not going to assume that you meant what this happened, but this is what happened, and it, it hurt me. And I, I don't think any, any less of you. I, don't, I just wanted you to be aware of it. Right? That's two totally different approaches. One of those is judgment with condemnation. And the other is like, hey, there's something that happened and we need to kind of address it. Right? Totally different approach. One of them is condemning somebody for a mistake and the other is helping them to grow. We should not define people by their mistakes, but by their intent. Refraining from judgment means that when we see a mistake, we still assume the best of the person, right? And we can't know intent, can we? The only way that we find out intent is by having a conversation. That's the only way that we're ever going to find out, did you mean this? I know that at least uh, half of you in this room, I won't tell which half, have done something to offend somebody and, they have res- and when you found out they were offended, your response was, what did I do? Does that sound familiar? Man, I hope you aren't getting elbows in the ribs right now. <coughs> Somebody gets their feelings hurt, and you say, what did I do? What did I do? Then it's like, I had no idea, right? I had no idea. That happens so frequently that we might not even realize that we did something to harm somebody else, Right? So frequently we say something that's like, well, that's not what, that's not what I meant. That's, I, didn't, I didn't mean it that way, right? I don't know how many times I've said that in my life. I didn't mean it that way, I promise. I didn't. I didn't mean it that way. There's just a confusion. There's a confusion about the intent behind what was said. And so that's how we have to judge people. We have to judge actions by saying, okay, what was the reason behind this? Paul is actually... In this section, he's applying the words of Jesus. 
If you wanted to know, there actually is a, a way that churches are supposed to approach discipline in the church. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 18, he says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to even listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Some translations to the beginning of this verse, it says, if a brother or sister sins against you. If a brother or sister sins against you. I kind of like that, that translation because it, it prevents people from just being like the spiritual police, right? Like, hey, I saw this person sin. I'm going to go talk to him about it. I saw you sin. I'm gonna, I, we need to talk about it. I'm, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to bring two or three other people and we're going to talk to you about it, right? It's, a, it's about sinning against you. So through your mind and your own business, right? Your mind and your own business. You're not trying to get in somebody else's business, but you're saying, okay, look, this was, this was a sin against me, and, and we need to talk about it. This is what happened, and we need to talk about it. So Jesus explains that it's just supposed to be handled between the two people. If they won't listen, if they're like, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know what you're talking about. Then you bring in a couple other people, preferably people who have seen it happen, right? You're not just, you don't want it to just be like, oh, well, they told me you did this. People that have seen it happen, they can come and say, hey, kind of like an intervention, right? <laughs> like, think of it that way. Of like, hey, yeah, this is, this is what you're doing, and you can't do this anymore. And if they're still unrepentant, you bring it to the whole church, and the whole church has to say, listen, this is not acceptable behavior, and you have to stop. And if they still won't listen, then you don't treat them as they're part of the church anymore. And that sounds really harsh. Sounds really harsh. And I love how Paul continues here in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4. Because he says, so when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved for the day of the Lord. That sounds really cruel, right? Like, that sounds like a really cruel thing. And I want to clarify that Paul isn't literally talking about like his skin, right? He's not talking about like he's just going to rot out there. He's talking about the, the sinful flesh. He's talking about the sinful flesh, that it's like, look, if this guy isn't what he's doing, we got to push him out so that he can realize and so that his sinful desire, his sinful flesh can be fixed. Because if you just allow it to continue happening in the church, there's not going to be any kind of fixing, right? Because at this point, in this situation, they were all like, this is fine. This is a totally fine thing. Keep on, keep on doing this. This is a totally fine thing. We're good with all of it. And in reality, this guy was sinning, and the church was saying, this is good. Keep going. And that shouldn't be how we handle this. It's like, hey, look, this is not okay, and if you think it's okay, that's probably a red flag. That's a red flag that we need to address, that maybe the Holy Spirit is not at work within you. If you see this and you think this is totally fine, think of it more of like a, like a wake-up call for this guy. This is more like a wake-up call. It's like, you won't listen to any of us? Well, look, you can't, you can't be... You're not part of this anymore. You can't be here. If you're going to continue acting this way, you can't be here. Sometimes that might be what somebody needs. That might be what somebody needs to be like, whoa, I didn't realize that what I was doing was going to have these kinds of consequences. And I love that the way Paul writes it, it's not just, hey, church, you need to protect yourself, period. It's you need to protect yourself, 
And this is for the benefit of this man as well. That's how he finishes off that verse. He says, so, so that, the reason, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. It's not so that you guys are fine and you never have to worry about this, this bad guy again. So that this guy will find salvation because he doesn't have it right now and he needs to know that. We have to, when, we, when we're trying to push people away, we don't need to just push people away, but we need to push people toward Christ. Push people toward Christ, not away from him. Push people toward Christ, not away with him. How we handle everyone should be for the benefit of the kingdom of God, not for the kingdom of self. How we handle everyone should be for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self. We should consider if we're even trying to do what's best for us, how it impacts the people around us. Does it push them toward the kingdom of God? Even in such a crazy, awful situation that Paul is dealing with, right? Like we look at this situation and we're not like, I mean, that's probably fine. That's probably a good thing that he's doing this. Even in such a situation that it's like such a specific, like, yeah, you can't do that. Paul wasn't like, just get rid of him. Don't talk to this guy anymore. He's a bad influence. Just push him away. It was for the benefit of this guy's soul. We have to remember in how we deal with people that we should be continuing to push them toward Jesus. Keeping in mind that we're supposed to count others more important than ourselves. Paul continues in verse 6, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep up the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with, the sexual, with sexually immoral, immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. This, the sin of this man had infected the whole church. So much so that they had began boasting about it. They were boasting about this man's sin. And Paul compares it to the metaphor of, of leaven, which was sin in the Old Testament. Frequently, over and over, the, the leaven that makes the bread rise was used as a metaphor for sin. And if there's even just a little bit of leaven in the bread, it doesn't just make like that one part rise. Just like we talked about earlier with the sewage in the pool, it doesn't matter if you dump it on the deep end, you're like, I'll probably still get out of the shallow end. That's probably fine. We were all like, no. It ruined the whole pool. A little bit of leaven makes the whole bread rise. Impacts the whole thing. And, and Paul is telling them, he's saying, hey, 
You got to get rid of the old religion. You got to get rid of your old standards in exchange for the new. Because this was not this is not a group of people who didn't have religion. This is a group of people that had religion. They had gods that they served and they had ways that they served that God that are not in step with how we serve our God. And so Paul is saying, look, you got to get rid of all of that old stuff. Because what's happened is that you've let your new faith get infected with some of the old. And even just a little bit of that is going to ruin the whole thing. It's such a lesson to us that we have to remember that even just a little bit can ruin the whole thing. Part of that is, is not seeking fulfillment in the same things that the world seeks fulfillment in. Sometimes that involves missing out on things. Sometimes that involves on missing out with things that you really enjoy. And I think that we have to be careful that we don't lean into the, the idea of judgment. And that we're not louder about the sins that we don't struggle with. Because sometimes that's what we do. Sometimes that's what we do is we're like, hey, this is something that you absolutely should never do this. And then the things that we struggle with, maybe it's like the lesser sins in our mind. Just like, oh, I mean, everybody does that. Everybody does that. But we'll be really loud about the things that we're, we're really against. But the things that also impact us, we're like, oh, this is fine. We have to stop seeking our fulfillment the way the world seeks fulfillment. The things that we used to do, the things that our flesh craves, those, those sins that we our flesh leads us to. Those are the things that we have to weed out. Those are the things that we have to push away. Jesus is praying for future believers in John 17. And in verse 14, he says, I have given them your word and, my, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is, that, is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. You might have heard this phrase before. I think it's really good. In the world, not of the world. In the world, not of the world. I say I love this phrase. It's a little bittersweet because I have heard people use this as a reason to be a jerk to people. I've heard people use this as like, oh, well, I'm not of the world. Like, I don't, I, don't have, I, I, I don't have to deal with this. You don't understand, because I'm not of the world. I've seen people abuse this phrase and use it as a reason to condemn people. Like we talked about last week, like we talked about the beginning of this. That it, This is not a phrase that it's like, oh, well, I'm not of the world, so you know, you're just dumb. You're not going to get it. And that's how this phrase is used frequently. And if it were just, I'm not of this world... That would be one thing. But the first part is equally important. You're still in the world. You're still in the world. If the goal was just to be holy, if the goal was just holiness and like, hey, let's, let's become more holy and that's all, we would just evaporate when we were saved, right? Because that's the only time we're ever going to be completely holy is once we get to heaven. But the purpose is not just that you're not of this world. You're still in the world. And that's what Jesus specifically prays for us. Not that, I, not that you would take them out of this world. Don't take them out of the world. Just protect them from the evil one. 
We're not protecting ourselves from the outside world. He is protecting us from the evil one. It doesn't mean you get to just push someone away because you disagree with them or treat them as lower because we're not of this world. It's called to be set apart and holy, but it matters how we treat people. It's because we're this, this standing out in holiness is for the benefit of the people around us. Just like the discipline of this man, it was for his benefit. It wasn't just, oh, well, we got to keep the church holy so you can't be here anymore. It was also for his benefit. It's not just about what we do or don't do. It's about who we are. Are we becoming more like Christ? Because Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of sinners. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with, with the, the outcasts, the people who the world didn't love, the people who were dirty, the people who were diseased. That's who Jesus hung out with. He was a friend of sinners. And I think this is a confusing, almost conflicting message, right? It's like, so what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be a friend of sinners and push away people who are sinning, right? That's a hard tightrope to walk, and I don't have the answer. I wish that that was my last point. It's like, here's the key. All you got to do is this. That would be great. I would love to be able to share that. But I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. I do know that if we look at how Jesus lived, that's the example. That's the example. I also hate the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. I don't like it. Because frequently we love the sinner and we find an excuse to hate their sin, but we don't hate our own sin. We hate the sins of others more than we hate our own sin. We should just love one another, right? Love the sinner, hate the sin is not in the Bible. It's not there. You could Google it. Not now because you don't have phone service. It's not in there. It's just love your neighbor as yourself. That was the commandment we were given. It was not love the sinner, hate the sin. It was love the neighbor. I think too often we're more concerned with keeping our clothes clean while our insides rot than making sure our, outside, our insides are clean and rubbing elbows with dirty people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus made sure his, the inside was clean and he rubbed elbows with dirty people. I think the point that Paul is trying to make is that we cannot allow non-believers to hold influence over the church. We cannot allow non-believers to be in the church and teaching, to be in the church and telling people and leading people astray. Because what happens is when we give that authority to non-believers and they're teaching something false, everybody starts to follow it. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened in this story in Corinth. That somebody had influence in the church so much so that everybody in the church was like, hey, we're proud of this guy. We do have a duty to be a safe place for people to come and know that they can trust what they hear is true. To learn and worship the true God. And we have to do this without forsaking the lost. 
We have to do this without forsaking the lost, and we have to learn what that balance is. We have to be careful that we don't fall on either one side or the other, that we, we don't become uh, hyper-isolated like monks, right? They don't, they're not really in the world anymore. And we also have to be careful that we don't swing to the other side to where we're too much in the world and we become universalists and we say, hey, whatever you believe, that's fine. Whatever you believe, that's fine. Because that's straying from the truth. We have to find the balance in truth and love. There's an author and a pastor. His name is Tim Keller. He has this fantastic quote that I wanted to share. He says, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and, also, and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentant moves us to cling and to rest in God's mercy and grace. We have to find that balance in truth and love. If we want to follow Christ, we have to find the balance that Paul is begging Corinth to walk in the truth and still love people. Our love should be sin immune. We should be able to disregard the sin of others when it comes to how we love because the love that we were loved with was strong enough to overcome sin. And ours should be too. So we have to love people with a love that overcomes their sin. It pushes them closer to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for this example of the church in Corinth and that Paul has the strength to to try to walk the tightrope of saying, hey, don't judge those outside. They don't, they're not part of the standard. We have to hold each other accountable. God, let it be the last resort. God, let us, the, the pushing somebody away toward you, God, let it be the absolute last resort that we exhaust all other options of trying to correct somebody or even before we have to. God, that we would continually be pray in prayer for those who are struggling with sin, who sin against us. God, let us find the balance between love and truth. That we would not stray from the truth that we are accepting of sin and encouraging of sin, but that we would not stray from love that we are too harsh and push people away from you. Help us to look at the example of Jesus and the way he loved, the way that he loved the people around him so much that it overcame their sin. It didn't ignore it, but it overcame it. God, let us be people who love others well. Don't let the sin get in the way protect us as a church that we wouldn't become tolerant of any sin that we would not become people who say hey this is great but this person is sinning and that we accept them or and that we we are above the the law 
Let us strain towards holiness while also loving those around us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.